Welcome back, Paleo Hackers. If you did not know, real quick, and you're not watching this right now, we are on video now. We've been doing it for the past, I don't know, dozen or so episodes. So head on over to YouTube or the blog, check us out on video, um, and see our pretty faces. With me on the other end is uh, Neely Quinn. She's a nutritional therapist at NeelyQuinn.com. She hosted the Women's Health Summit right here, right here on Paleo Hacks, and she was on... I think it was episode 27 of our podcast about, what was that, two years ago or something? Yeah, it was a while ago. It was a while ago. So we brought you back on the video podcast. Now we can be all animated and move around and whatnot. Yeah, thanks for that. The the episode we did um, on 27 when I went to the archives, I didn't just recall that off the top of my head, was uh, why the paleo diet is making you sick. And it's funny because it kind of kind of wasn't about like making you sick directly but one thing i noticed when you post that title is that was a really high trafficked show and there's something almost like in this health community um and i want your take on it that when you when you title something with like a negative connotation to it like why it's making you sick or the secrets of what you're not doing or why you're not losing weight or you know i'm gonna give you the answer to something people like flock to it so that was a really popular episode I think yeah. for the title. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I remember being told that it, it kind of blew up because of the title. And I was like, well, I didn't say anything that, yeah. you know, groundbreaking. But yeah, of course, I think we all want to know what we're doing wrong. And we, we all want to know the secrets to success. So Just some clickbait. You know, you see that on like BuzzFeed when they throw a number in there. Like yeah. Seven reasons why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it works. I mean, it works on me. Yeah. <laughs> I know I can stay on those things forever. I heard though that like when you hear a list, the reason they do it is because when you hear a list, there's something in our uh, minds that has to. When we start it, we have to finish it. You know, what's number one? What's number seven? I have to see this through. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, again, it works on me. So, um, uh, how did the Women's Health Summit go on on Paleo Hacks? Yeah, the the weight loss solution. It was the weight loss solution. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Uh, it went well. I mean, we had. Over 100,000 people register. Um, we had, I did all those videos with all those experts and it was awesome. I mean, we got some smart people on there yeah. who had some really helpful information about weight loss for women because there's a lot of different facets of weight loss. And so we covered a lot of them. And so, with the work you do, is that mostly geared towards helping women? Um, yeah, it, it just ends up that that's who's online looking for information on health. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time when they're working on their health, part of that is trying to lose weight. Okay. And so uh, set it up then. Did, did How did you get into kind of being a nutritional therapist and focusing on more women's health? Did you have some stuff in your past um, of, of where you maybe were overweight or had a weight loss journey or something? Because clearly, yeah. cl- I mean, clearly you're very fit now and you're rock climbing. We talked about that. And so, I mean, was it always like that? No, <laughs> no. Um, I, I mean, I was never obese or anything, but I'm a five foot petite person and I got up to about 135 pounds at one point, which for a five foot person is uncomfortable to say the least, you know, like I wasn't fitting into my clothes and it was cause I was, I was a vegetarian and I was eating lots of sugar, lots of starch, lots of grains, which my body turns out doesn't really like. Yeah. And, um, 
So yeah, I mean, my journey started when I was about 18 or 19 when I was like, God, what is happening to my body? <laughs> I'm gaining weight. I don't know why. And so from then I started to get a little bit sick and had, you know, digestive problems and, and fatigue and all kinds of issues that a lot of people have. And I just sort of started to figure them out slowly, but surely went to school for nutrition and figured out more during that time. And then when I got out of school, just like researched more and more and slowly, but surely like I got it. So you were losing, you were part. losing weight along the way going from 135 down. Yeah. It, yeah. Wa- it wasn't like an overnight thing. Mm, some of it was a little bit overnight. Like when I stopped eating gluten, I remember that month I lost like 15 pounds and without doing anything else really. Um, wow. but I mean, it took me five tries to go gluten free because really? it's, it's hard. And I loved my gluten. What made you slip up the first four? <laughs> um, just I, I feel like I was just addicted to it. You know, I'd have moments of weakness, or I'd be depressed or anxious about something, and I just needed, I needed cookies or yeah. I needed whatever. So I'd just fall off the wagon, and then you know everybody does it. And then finally, I think I just I found a little bit more self worth and realized that I didn't want to feel like that anymore. Cause every time I did it, every time I ate the gluten, I'd feel bad. I'd feel guilty. Sick. I'd feel sick. Oh, sick. Yeah. And finally, well, and guilty, but guilty. finally I was like, okay, I don't want, I don't want to feel sick anymore. This is not how I want to feel. So it's just, oh. it was just over. Okay. And so that was the tipping point then was the more the like, I feel like shit when I eat gluten and I don't want to feel like that anymore. This is enough. I don't care if I want cookies. I'm going to do this. Did you implement any anything the fifth time that you didn't do the first four? Or was it more of that mental shift in how you viewed what you were eating? Um, I think I probably by that time there were more gluten free cookies. <laughs> so, so I would just not go for the glutinous cookies. I just went for the gluten free cookies. And that helped. I mean, it did help to an extent. After that, though, you know, I still had weight to lose and um, I couldn't lose it. It was hard for me. And finally, I took out the grains, but that didn't really help me lose weight so much as made me feel better. Like I felt less sick and less fatigued. And um, But when I finally lost all the rest of it, it was because of calorie counting. Really? And I know that a lot of people don't like to hear that, but yeah, finally I was like, okay, what the hell am I putting in my mouth? Yeah. And so, and as a nutritionist, I kind of had an idea, but I just started recording it really well for a while and got to know my food. A food log? Realized, was it a food log? Yeah. You, I, I'm a big proponent of my fitness pal. I don't know. It's just what I ended up yeah. using for myself. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm this little tiny person and I don't need very much food and I was eating a lot of food. And so it just was a matter of cutting it down and, you know, kind of keeping tabs on it for however many years it's been since then. So for you, it was more of a volume um, of the, the quantity you were taking in not necessarily a uh, quality or maybe not even hormones or not even stress. I mean, it, for, for you, it was just I taking in too much food. I go down to my normal intake on my fitness pal and I keep track of that and then boom the weight is off yeah you eliminate gluten and all that but I think for a lot of people too they have 
they have those um, either hormonal disbalances or that excess stress or they're not sleeping. I mean, that's why weight loss is such a, a tough nut to crack because there are so many different va- variables and each one is so major. Weight loss looks totally different if you're not sleeping enough versus if you're eating too much food versus if you have a hormonal disbalance versus if your relationships. I mean, all these things affect it way differently, but they have the same result, which is boom, you get bigger. And, yeah. so, and so I guess this is probably speaking to the choir right now with because you do this in your work. But um, for you, that variable then was just the, the quantity of food you're eating. And when you reduce it, it. Yeah, goes I away. think I think it was very much that. But I think I had also put a lot of the other pieces into place before I got to that. And so that's why when I counsel people on losing weight. I don't say, okay, we're going to start here from your, your standard American diet and we're just going to cut calories. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't work for some people, but for me, I wonder, I don't really know if I had, if I had been eating gluten and I had been eating dairy and all those other things that bothered me, if I could have just lost weight by cutting calories. I don't know. So what do you do with people then? They come to you, they're overweight, they're unhappy they want to make a change maybe they're on their fifth time trying to eliminate gluten you know what what do you do where do you start yeah i start with awareness that's the biggest thing like i want people to know where they're at right now and what they're eating and then i start to educate them on like these are the things that could be making you gain weight or stay where you're at um and those involve you know the food sensitivities the over-exercising is a huge one for me for some reason. Mm. I get a lot of people who are uber athletes. I think they're attracted to me because I have been super active myself. Um, and a lot of that, that actually was one of the big things that I discovered for myself was when I exercised too much, I would keep weight on. And that's an inflammatory thing. And it's mostly water weight, but a, a lot of athletes have that going on. Um, yeah. Okay. So you can take a different... Um, a couple different routes with people. Is there any major trends outside of like over exercising and excess stress that you see with let's focus on women uh, with the women you work with that are trying to lose weight? What trends do you see? Uh, well, yeah, over exercising. I see a lot of people actually who eat too little. Um, and I see a lot of people who they have food sensitivities and they don't really know about it. And once they figure it out, then everything sort of falls into place. But I mean, for women, it's really hard because there is that hormonal component too, especially because a lot of women who come to me are menopausal or around that time. And that can be, that can be super frustrating. I do actually see a lot of women who don't lose weight. Like it, it doesn't matter if they change their diet, they they're eating whatever a thousand calories a day, which isn't very much um, they're exercising the right amount and they just can't get it right. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a mystery. It depends on standards too, I think, because it's like, what are you comparing yourself to? I want to lose weight so I can look like the clothes hanger on the runway, or mm-hmm. do I want to lose weight so I can look like healthy for my frame and healthy for your frame is going to be way different than healthy for someone's frame in the tropics, for someone's frame in Africa, for someone's frame in, you know, uh, the Arctic, you know, they all have different natural sizes. Um, and, and, and what is really healthy for you? I mean, and what are you comparing yourself to? What are your standards? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we can say that weight doesn't matter and throw away your scale and all that. And to a degree, I do believe that for some people, but 
I mean, there are a lot of people that I work with who are grossly overweight. And I don't mean gross in that sense of the word, but you know, like they're obese, they're morbidly obese there. So it is a big deal for a lot of these women who I'm working with, who they do have like 40, 50, a hundred, 200 pounds to lose. So it is a, it is a real thing, but I do hear what you're saying. I mean, a lot, again, I get a lot of those Uber athletes who are like, I want to be, you know, at, 18 at a, a BMI of 18, which is yeah. underweight, you know, that's basically what it comes down to. And so you have to counsel them on that too. I want to look like this person right here, you know, like they bring yeah. you a photo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, I, I mean, I've literally had clients who are like, I have a photo shoot and I need to look like a fitness model. What do I do? <laughs> I have a wedding to go to and I want right. to make everyone look at me and not my bridesmaids because Jessica, right. I hate Jessica. She steals it all the time. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I th- I think too, like I've been guilty of it in the past. There's this mantra that gets repeated in the health community and the health sphere, blogosphere. And it's like, stop focusing on how you look and start focusing on, on how you feel. And it's just like, that's a really easy thing to say, uh, especially if we're talking right now, you know, it's a, and it's a catchy thing to say. But at the end of the day, it's not either or we can have both. You can have your cake and eat it too. Um, and I think that yeah, you want to feel good, obviously. doesn't matter if you're ripped up, but you feel like a zombie all day. Mm-hmm. But like, you should be able to look good. Um, I think it's Mark Sisson who has that LGN factor, you know, the look good naked um, <laughs> as, as one of the major motivators. And I mean, that's why I got into working out, to look good. Um, and, and that's not a thing that should be shamed. And I, I think it's easy to say, look, focus on how you feel. But I think what I'm hearing from you is that how we look is very important as well. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, that's a big motivation for a lot of people to be losing weight. I think that when people, the people who I hear saying I'm focusing on feeling good as opposed to looking good, um, they're at a place where they've tried to just focus on losing the pounds and they don't care how they feel. Like they're hopped up on diet pills and they're whatever. And so, and they're totally sacrificing their health in order to lose weight. And at this point, they're finally like, okay, I'm focusing on both of them. And for some, for a lot of people, it takes time, unfortunately, where they have to get their body back into check, where they're at a homeostasis and they're healthy and their hormones are getting back into um, normal ranges and their stress is getting under control and their food sensitivities are getting under control. And then their body's like, okay, I can lose, I can let go of some of this fat. And I think that that's where a lot of those people are is, I got to feel good and then maybe the weight will come off. Yeah. For some people, they it might not be the extra high intensity interval training session that they need to do to lose weight yeah. three times a week. It might be the yoga sleeping. class and meditation, sleeping, de-stress, getting out of that relationship. Like there's so many different things for people. And um, I, I think it's easier to do more and, and work harder instead of smarter a lot of times, you know, yes. it's, it's, it's fun. It's like, okay, what can I do? Can I go out and crush it today? Can I, yeah. can I, can, I, I just need to work harder. I need to motivate myself. Julian yeah. Michael says that <laughs> I see her on biggest loser. They're running 18 miles. I, if I run 18 miles, that sounds good. You know? Yeah. I use the biggest loser all the time in my talks. Just to, yeah. Because it, that's exactly what Americans think that we need to do in order to lose weight. It's just like work out all the time, even if it means sacrificing sleep and, you know, stressing out and being with family and all that. And that's something that I'm actually working on right now. Cause I actually have been struggling for the past seven months, um, with my own health 
and not with weight or anything. I actually lost weight, but I was diagnosed with um, mold biotoxin illness. I don't know if you want to go into that at all, but um, what it's doing to me is making me slow down. Like I was like, okay, I have this thing, but I don't really care. And I'm just going to, you know, plunge through it and I'm going to work out all the time. And I'm going to keep climbing five days a week. I just had surgery. I don't care. And finally I'm not getting better. Like I have these weird symptoms in my body and I have fatigue Mm. and I'm not getting better. And finally I'm like, Hmm, maybe I need to go to bed earlier and not exercise so much and drink more water and not, you know, like start meditating and do all these things that I'm telling people to do, but I'm not doing myself. And so, so seven months ago, you had those symptoms of what was it? Mold biotoxins. Yeah. So it's this big thing and that it actually relates with weight loss. I think a lot. Um, so doctors are discovering that, some people have the genetic tendency to, when they have, well, so like if you have mold in your house, a lot of people, they get the mold in their body from the house, like the spores get in their body and, um, they have these antibodies that make it go away and they kind of feel crappy for a little bit and then it goes away. But there are like 25% of people, including myself who have these genes that make it so that we don't have those antibodies. So the mold just gets into our body and stays there and causes like hormonal disruptions, um, Mm. neurological problems and including weight gain. And so I have, I'm fortunate in this way that I don't have the weight gain part of it, but I'm, I'm looking around me and I'm like, that woman probably has mold biotoxin or Lyme. How do you tell? How do you tell? Um, just by symptom. No, I mean, how you diagnose it. Yeah. So how you diagnose it is you go to somebody who is privy to this information. So mostly naturopaths or holistic medical doctors. Um, and they'll do a series of tests that are, they're just a bunch of different markers that will show if you have the genes that, um, are involved in this. And if you have the inflammatory markers that go along with this, so you can get tested. It's called the shoemaker protocol. Um, it's mm-hmm. a Dr. Shoemaker who sort of discovered all this over the last 15 years. And so, yeah, I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but that's like, no, this I is think, fascinating. This is yeah, good. It's, I it's like kind this. Of, so, uh, wh- yeah, it's affecting how I look at women who are who, the women who are like, Neely, I've done everything you've said. I'm counting my calories. I'm on these hormones. I'm, you know, all these things and I'm still not losing weight. And those are the women who I'm like, well, maybe they have a biotoxin illness and their hormones are just messed up and everything is pointing towards that. With the shoemaker protocol then and testing for the mold biotoxins, do these come from the houses we live in or environment primarily? Like where are these mold toxins coming from that trigger this uh, response? Yeah. Anywhere where there's water damage really. So like in Boulder, a couple of years ago where I am in Colorado, there were there was a huge flood and it was a, you know, a national disaster. And so a ton of people had mold growing in their basements or wherever. And so they had this damage to their houses and that, that can happen if you have like a leaky sink or whatever, it's like a little leak in your roof. It can cause black mold all over your house. So 
it can be there. You can get exposed to it. I was probably exposed to it when I was a little kid and it's been disrupting me ever since. And that's why I have all these food sensitivities. Yeah. I had a water leak, um, from upstairs into the basement and it got in my closet and I think we sealed it off and removed it or whatever. Uh, but it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. It was, it was like, so is this black mold we should be looking for? No, it's, uh, there are different kinds of molds. And that's the first part of the whole protocol is once you realize that you do have this genetic tendency um, to not be able to deal with the mold, you have to check your house. And there's this company that um, you like swab the surfaces of your house mm-hmm. and you send it in and they, they test for a bunch of different common molds and then they tell you how bad your house is. And that's the first thing is you would get out of that environment. I mean, there are people living in trailers or tents because their houses are infested. So is it better to buy a new house then than the old ones? Probably. Well, that's the funny thing. It's not funny at all, but like I have a friend who she has this same thing and she was living in a house that was built five years ago and it was the moldiest house that our doctor has ever seen. Whoa. Okay. So it doesn't matter. Like you, you just have to test, but I mean, this isn't, this isn't to say that everybody has this issue. And if you have mold, you need to, everybody doesn't have this issue. I'm just genetically inclined to have this issue. Wasn't it like 25%? Yeah, it's 25%. So my doctor That's says, a lot. yeah, it is a lot. And he thinks that it's an epidemic that is, you know, he's not, he's not a snake oil salesman. Just, creating a problem and it's mold for everyone. <laughs> I hope not. The black I mean, mold. Of course I have my questions about it, but at this point, like I've been to, I can't tell you how many doctors and tell, tell them about my symptoms and they're like, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just, I just have to trust it. You felt better over the past seven months. Well, I just started the treatment a couple months ago and it's been a long road. Yeah. Um, I go up and down, okay. but that, but the, the protocol takes, you know, six months to a year to go through. So, so obviously getting out of the environments, probably the biggest part. Um, what, yeah. What, and, and yeah, when we it. were in, you had asked last time we talked, I was living on the road. I was living out of a van so that we could rock climb all over the country. And that was awesome. Five but, days a week. Yeah. On it, torn shoulders. Yeah. Well, that was before the torn shoulders, but, um, we actually had mold in our van. We, we discovered it hmm. months after we were living in it. And so I think that that's when this all started. Cause that's when I started to feel sick. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and what are some of the other steps in the protocol then? Is it like a low inflammation diet since mold's inflammatory or would it just be a long, more clean eating? Like wh- what sort of things do you do? Yeah. It's interesting because paleo is definitely part of it. And, um, that's coming from a doctor who doesn't even call it paleo. He's just like, you got to get the gluten out. You got to get the grains out. You got to get the, all this stuff out. And, um, and then it's pharmaceuticals, to Hmm. be honest, you have to take stuff that I never, ever, ever thought I would be taking. And I can't believe I'm talking about this. This is not what I was expecting to talk about, but I, I do think it's relevant, um, to people who are sick and they have, you know, I think that, the, it seems like the most common symptoms are fatigue that just won't go away, um, weight gain, thyroid issues, I, you know, other hormonal issues like I have no testosterone, I have no vasopressin, I have, and I'm like this healthy-looking person, yeah. you know, and 
And so for women or people in general who just have these unexplained symptoms, that's, and who maybe have like a water issue sometime in their history, that's who should go check it out. I think it's important to touch on too, because people listening at home, they can go to any other podcast in like this paleo health sphere and get kind of the classic like, what does gluten do? What does dairy do? Get your sleep, get your exercise, which is very important. Um, I think it's also equally as important to focus on some anomalies and just kind of cover all your bases to see if you do have a mold problem and you're listening to shows on sleep, sunlight and uh, exercise, you might not ever catch it. Right. Yeah. And so it's very important to go into kind of like mold issues. And we just had a skin doctor on. I'm trying to get a men's health doctor on to talk about uh, specific like prostate health. And, you know, I I mean, I like going into these little alleyways and really nailing it down for the people at home. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify, it's not just mold. They call it biotoxin illness because it it also involves Lyme disease and other things. So people who ever got bitten by a tick and had like the red ring that those people... You I've know. been trying to find someone to get on the show about uh, Lyme disease. Do you know much about it at all? No, okay. I'm not an expert Not the at person all. to ask? No. Nope. Okay. Um, so with weight loss then, let's talk about exercise. You mentioned you were over-exercising. You work with a lot of people that are over-exercising. Um, Jillian Michaels' approach, you know, biggest loser, yada, yada, yada. What are kind of some right ways to exercise for the people listening at home? Well, I think that first of all, you have to be honest with yourself, with your schedule. So like sleep is definitely the most important, one of the most important things in eating well. And so I see a lot of people who are like, okay, well, I'm going to go to bed at 11 and then I'm going to wake up at five and I'm going to do my workout before I eat. And then I'm going to come home and I, you know, and then they have this stressful day and like, I see burnout in them, in a lot of them. And I also see, um, them not losing weight. So because their cortisol levels are still so high, partly because of the amount of exercise they're doing and the little amount of sleep that they're getting. Um, and because they're caffeinating themselves through these workouts and through their days, like that's, those are all big deals. And it can all mean that you, your body holds on to weight because it's freaking out. So I think that finding something that you really love to do, um, fitting it in your schedule as is actually, practical and realistic for you and, um, and not overdoing it. So, I mean, of course there are going to be people who are doing endurance sports who really love their long runs five days a week or whatever. And I think all I ask of those people is that they be honest with themselves. Like how's your performance? How's your energy levels? How are your, um, how's your appetite? Are you depressed? Are you recovering well? And all of these things can point to overtraining. And so, Um, we also have to make sure that we're feeding, we're fueling ourselves properly. So like if we're even with climbing, you know, like I, I discovered pretty early on in paleo that, um, I wasn't eating enough carbs. And so my performance was waning. I, my energy was really bad. And so even on a paleo diet, I had to end up, I had to figure out how to get between 150 and 200 grams of carbs or sometimes more, um, in order to fuel what I was trying to do. Bananas. Ripen them, yeah. Bananas. Blend them, drink them, boom. There you go. Yeah, uh, tapioca flour, yeah. honey, yeah. other fruit. What do I have in front of me? I eat bread every day made out of tapioca, coconut yeah. flour. It's important. Yeah. It's important if you're uh, an athlete and your workouts need to be uh, 
what am I looking for? Brain fart. They need to be uh, intertwined with your nutrition. I mean, that's fuel. And so, yeah, if you're doing the ultra endurance stuff, trying to eat just protein all day, no carbs, no fat, it's like, good luck with that, man. Right. Exactly. See you in the doctor's office. But um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I think those high intensity sports, whether it be a CrossFit or whether it be rugby or whether it be, you know, any sort of sprint training or track athletes that are not taking the carbon take, they're going to feel terrible. Yes. I mean, even, yeah. when I, even when I try and do like the high intensity stuff and still kind of go about my day and, and don't really add in more carbs, I just crave fruit. I crave everything else. I crave sugar. I'm thirsty. It, it's, it's all that. So I even feel it myself when I do uh, the high intensity stuff for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, CrossFit workouts are no joke. Like a five, even a 10 minute high intensity workout is no joke. And yeah. so, I mean, some people, and, and we're all on a scale here, you know, like there are plenty of people who, who was it? I was just talking to somebody. Oh yeah. I'm working with these climbers, these pro climbers on their nutrition. And one of them actually does really well with a pretty low carb diet, not mm. very low carb. He's probably eating 150 to 175 grams of carbs a day, but he's working out, you know, sometimes five hours a day. And so I'm, I'm kind of wondering, but his energy levels are okay. His recovery is good. And so I'm like, well, don't mess with it right now. Let's just watch it and see if it continues to be like that. Whereas I've had other athletes who literally are, you know, they're training for rowing events or whatever, and they're eating 450 grams of carbs a day. So it's, it's totally dependent on the person. Yeah, it it is frustrating in, in this work um and just interviewing a bunch of people you know it for the person at home listening i can imagine they're trying to figure out how many carbs they should be eating or how much sleep they should be getting or how much exercise they should be doing and it always goes back to the answer it depends it depends <laughs> I know. It depends on you and it's like and and i don't like the people that come on here and say okay half your body weight in ounces of water a day 0.5 grams of protein for every pound of lean muscle. So you have to divide that by uh, your heart rate is 220 minus your age. You know, all these like specific equations, they help, yeah. but sometimes they can do more harm than good. Like when people get so anal about uh, their protein intakes and they're, they're charting it all on paper and, and they're, you know, they're, they're counting blueberries so they don't get one extra for that <laughs> carbon intake. But yeah. other times, again, it depends. Cause in your case, with like my fitness pal, that worked for you and it's like uh, I, I mean i don't even know what to do uh, for the people listening at home like well there know. are general you know i i definitely give people guidelines for sure but you have to start somewhere i had to start somewhere and so i always say okay start first of all if you're coming off of a standard american diet and you're an athlete and you're switching over to paleo i always tell people okay try to mimic how many carbs you're eating right now hmm on your paleo diet, because otherwise, especially if they're trying to compete and be like a, a really good athlete at the time, they're going to feel like crap and coming into paleo. So, but anyway, I always start people at around hundred grams of carbs, um, depending on, and if they're doing a lot of endurance exercise, I'll have them do a little bit more during and after the exercise. Um, but a hundred grams seems to be like, okay, I'm not, they're not going to gain weight doing that. And they're not going to feel too crappy doing that. And so that's a good starting point. And if you feel awful, then obviously you need more. And if you are still gaining weight, then you need less. I saw something on your blog 
Um, and it was a post about the guilt some people have when they eat meat, whether mm-hmm. they're coming from a vegan diet over, whether they're consuming it right now. There seems to be a disconnect between what we eat and um, uh, how it gets to us. And, and that can create a lot of guilt for people. And just the thought of killing an animal or consuming animals can cause um, some psychological guilt. So uh, what was kind of like the article about? I'll let you talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm no stranger to all of that because I was vegetarian from the time I was 12 until I was 23, basically, um, because I didn't want to eat animals because I felt so bad about it. Um, And then I got this. There's some weird noises out there. Um, I got this email from this girl who was sort of in the same situation as I was when I first started eating meat again. And I think there's a lot of guilt, especially because we've been told not to eat meat. And so a lot of people go vegetarian and then they espouse these really great, you know, like people want not to harm animals. They want to not torture animals. And I think that what we forget is that you can eat animals that have been, that have had wonderful lives. And that's my, that's my one rule about, I would rather not eat at a restaurant. And so that's the one thing that I try to instill in people is to know where your meat's coming from, like know where it's where and how it's slaughtered, because um, that obviously can, obviously can be really stressful for the animal. And um, for me, it was also about being selfish instead of thinking more about the animal's needs. And I know that this sounds harsh, but as a human, like I know that I need meat. I know that I personally need meat. And so it became, I'm either going to save these animals' lives or I'm going to save my life. And so it had to be one or the other for me. I think there's a lot of confirmation bias, too, with um, the every every diet cult on the internet, even paleo to a certain extent. Uh, just with the internet, like the vegans and vegetarians can find things and cherry pick of why they don't need to eat meat, of why they can't sustain on a plant-based diet, whether it's the China study or whether it's, you know, this person says, or whether it's, it's I can eat bananas all day and feel fine. Like there's, there's a lot of that and, and it's easy to just take that information and kind of justify whatever sick feeling you might be um, having by just eating plants and just call it detox or call it just yeah. transitioning or, you know, call it uh, X, Y, and Z. I need to eat more carbs. Um, so uh, getting back to the guilt of eating meat, I think um, that we can kind of focus on that little group and have our confirmation bias of everyone else is doing it and they feel fine. And so I should feel fine. And we don't look outside of that to why we should eat meat and because we feel guilty and we don't want to murder animals or whatever you want to call it. Um, so the shift for you then was realizing that you felt better when you ate meat. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was funny at the age of 23, I was really sick and my body was literally calling out for canned tuna. It was the weirdest Hmm. thing. And then I started eating fish and then I started eating turkey and yeah, I started eventually feeling and looking better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, uh, do you work with people that are coming from vegetarian or yeah. vegan? Yeah, there are a lot of them yeah. for sure. And, and it's hard. And it can be physically hard too because your body stops producing so much hydrochloric acid sometimes and enzymes that right. you need to digest. So a lot of times people do get stomach aches and it's just because they don't have, so they need to supplement with those things and that can just like fix the problem. 
like a BTN HCL or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So uh, what are some steps that people take when they're getting back onto eating meat? Um, I think it's just like a lot of times they have to figure out what they're okay with. So maybe a lot of times people will be okay with fish, but not beef right away. And so they have these little gateways where they can, they feel okay about emotionally eating it. Um, and I mean, I say just dive in really. <laughs> like if you want a burger, eat a burger. Uh, and it, it just depends on the person once again. I think it's fascinating too, when you look at, um, the closed organic cycle, you know, like Paul check talks about a lot, which is, is I, I, I love it. He talks about how like plants are carnivorous. I don't know if you've ever heard him talk about that. Where basically like there's a Fox that eats a rabbit and then the Fox poops out the rabbit and then the soil absorbs it. Oh, and then yeah. the, the plants absorb the soil and then you eat the plants. And so it's like, even, even if you don't want to partake directly in like eating the Fox, in some way, shape, or form, it's getting converted to the point of where, in a way, like, you're eating it. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that's it, true. It's like the people who say they don't support sweatshops, but shop at H&M. It's like, mm-hmm. dude, I mean, you're still wearing it. You're still supporting it indirectly, even though you're not going to the sweatshop and, like, buying the clothes direct from the people. Right. You're still, the money is still getting there somehow. So it's the same thing, I think, uh, really analogous to food and how we think about that is, like, even if you say you don't eat animals in some way, like everything else does, mm-hmm. um, and, and you're still getting it somehow. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. This is actually one of the hardest things for me to talk about. It was is vegetarianism because there's so much bad research out there, like the whole forks and knives movie and the China study and how they'll, those two things single-handedly have changed people from eat, being meat eaters to being really fearful vegans and vegetarians. Yeah. And when I hear that, it's hard for me to not get angry. And I'm a kind of an irascible person. I get riled up easily, but it, it hurts to hear that people are potentially doing something really harmful for themselves because of some guy's really shitty research. Yeah. And, and it's very convincing when you put the time, the money and the energy into making this documentary with cool transitions and, you know, slaughterhouses, yeah. slow pan and drives down I-5 with people plugging their nose. And, you know, yeah. it, it's a very like emotional pull. And, and that is is a very convincing way to get people onto something. But yeah. if you were to take more of a like objective standpoint and looking at like the B12 deficiencies or you know all these other nutrients like my mom didn't eat red meat, just red meat mm-hmm. you know, for for years and she went to her doctor and he's he did blood tests cuz she started feeling sluggish and he's like, "Yeah, you're deficient in iron and B12 and vitamin D." Yeah. And it's yeah. like uh, you know, he's like, "Yeah, you got to start eating red meat. Those are where you, you get a lot of that." And so it's amazing when you can see like how it's affecting you directly from an objective standpoint. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, I've never looked into the China study. It seems to be like kind of like the silver bullet for veganism and stuff, but I know it kind of got like debunked or something like that. Yeah. If you want to know, like if this has sparked an, Oh, maybe I should look into that. Then go to rawfoodsos.com and Denise Minger did like an, extraordinary amount of digging into that research and just like debunked him. So. Yeah. I need to look into that. Cause that was, uh, that was a study where they showed that like veganism was the, the best diet or something like that. Right. Um, basically, Oh, there's like jazz playing out here. Sorry. Lucky. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Wish I had some jazz outside my window. 
Yeah, no, basically they just said that um, in a nutshell, he, he did research on casein, which is a protein in dairy, and he said that it might maybe cause cancer. And he extrapolated that to say that all protein then would cause cancer and Hmm. cherry picked um, data from other studies showing that it it did do that. So it was just it's just ridiculous. I need to get someone on here. Uh, Maybe the raw food SOS person. Not not to like not to like debunk veganism. Right. Because like I don't have any camp that I've subscribed to. I don't really care if people are vegan and can rock it. I think some people can. But um you know, I just I, I I feel like I'm not knowledgeable enough on the topic to really like say no to veganism and, and stuff like that. Yeah, you no. Know? If you could it's get Denise hard. Minker on the okay. show, that'd be awesome. Denise She's like Minker. so entertaining and super smart. You, so you said you get wild riled up when you talk about like vegetarianism. Why why do you get riled up? I just get riled up when people tell me that they're doing it for. First of all, environmental reasons, because yeah. if we if we were to pasture raise animals and do what, you know, and now I'm having a blank on his name. Um, Paul Check? What, Joel no. Salton? Yeah, yes. That what awesome. Joel Salton is doing. Yeah, he's um, cool. Our environment would be much healthier. And, um, and when people tell me that they're doing it because of forks and knives or some other really crappy research, that, that upsets me because I, I, cause I care about people. I bet you I get that a lot, though, in Boulder. Right? Isn't there a pretty big movement there? It's kind of it's kind of like Seattle in that way. Yeah, less now, less so now. Yeah, fortunately, but I don't know. I, yeah. Maybe they're ch- they're chilling out on all the the legal marijuana. Okay, yeah. well, um, it's time. You know, I want to respect your time and and, and get you out of here. Um, w- yeah. real quick though, so the uh, women's weight loss summit it was on Paleo Hacks. Yeah, the women's weight loss solution. How do people find out more about that? Do they? Is there like a link or a site? Um, that, let's see, it's not, it was a live event, so people can't really see it right now unless, uh, I mean, it's also, it was also recorded, so you can get it, but Dave sends out links when, if you guys get the Paleo Hacks newsletter, it'll be in the link at the bottom of, uh, Dave's emails. And so you can get it that way. But also like I have a fat loss, a 30 day fat loss program on my site at neelyquinn.com. And I have um, an emotional, I'm really involved in helping people with binge eating because I was a binge eater myself and sort of overcame that, which was a huge hurdle for my weight loss. Um, and so I have an emotional eating program on my site as well. So yeah, that's that's cool. basically it. Okay. And that's neelyquinn.com, correct? Yep. All right, Neely. Thanks again for coming on. Um, maybe the title will be why the paleo diet's making you sick 2.0. And- right. <laughs> We'll get thousands of people on this one. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, guys, real quick, very special public service announcement. Public service announcement, yeah. Stop what you're doing. As I was talking about the things that I offer to people to help them with weight loss, and I forgot about a a different product that's about um, beauty and what you can do to make your skin and your hair and yourself as beautiful as possible without using, you know, the pharmaceuticals or the harmful chemicals. Um, and this is something that I have dealt with a lot because I had really bad acne before I was paleo. Um, I had eczema, I had all kinds of stuff that I would rather not even talk about. And (laughs) so we created this, this guide to help you, um, get rid of acne, have smoother, 
um, skin, have nicer hair, just using food and things that are in your pantry and in your kitchen that are really good for you. So that what's is it, called, what's called Primal Beauty. And you can get that at primalbeautysecrets.com. And it's, it's something I'm really proud of. So yeah, hopefully you like it. Giving away secrets? Yeah, giving away all my secrets. Like how many secrets are we talking about like here? Like a lot. Like, like 20? Hundreds of pages. Hundreds of, of pages of secrets. Yeah. A lot <laughs> yeah, of recipes, secrets. secrets. How'd you, how'd you keep them secret for that long? Seems uh, like they'd get out if it was a couple hundred. I just hundred. didn't talk to one single person the whole time. Man, she's revealing yeah. it all now. Yeah. Primalbeautysecrets.com. Yeah.